and welcome to the Date Night Movie Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Russell, and with me is my co-host, Ashley Russell. Hey, y'all! Normally, this is a show where each week, Ashley and I, we talk about a new movie that's playing in theaters. But, uh, you know, due to COVID-19 and most theaters being closed and no new movies being released, we're going to be talking about what we've been watching here at home. And uh, this is uh, this is a special episode. This yeah. is our 100th episode. We've done this 100 times. Wow, that many times? Yeah. it's um, Yeah, we started this in, like, October uh, 2018. And now it's 2020 and barreling into a bright future. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, future's looking great. And so since this is our 100th episode, I wanted to celebrate the occasion by talking about two of uh, my personal favorite movies from director Tony Scott. And uh, we've talked about Tony Scott before on this show. Uh, He's a great director. He was born in England in 1944. He studied to be a painter before joining up with his brother's commercial production company. His brother, of course, is director Ridley Scott. And together, they've made hundreds of TV commercials before transitioning into features. And, you know, Tony Scott, he died in 2012 tragically by suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, 68 years old. And by that time, he had made 16 features, the most famous of which was Top Gun, which we've talked about here. Yep. And of those 16, you know, I was doing some research, only five are considered fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? Yeah. Which ones are those? True Romance, yeah. uh, which is uh, one we're going to talk about, and um, Spy Game, Crimson Tide. Oh, I love Crimson classic. Tide. Classic. I mean, great movie. And uh, Enemy of the State and Unstoppable. All pretty, all, all pr- very movies. solid films. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this guy, he's he's one of my favorite filmmakers. And yeah, I mean, most of his movies, they didn't pass the grade with critics. You know, critics, they just, they saw his movies as just kind of these empty exercises in style. And Tony Scott, I mean... He brought a lot of style to all of his movies. All of his movies look great. And originality. But yeah, most of his stuff, I mean, he's working off original scripts. Yeah. And uh, just great original scripts. In a lot of cases, just like young, upcoming talent. And, you know, like in True Romance, uh, written by Quentin Tarantino. I mean, this is a pre-Pulp Fiction Quentin Tarantino. So he's just sort of, uh, you know, getting his mojo going. Yeah. And Tony Scott uh, was the first person to uh, direct a script of his that Tarantino himself didn't direct. Yep. Because now Tarantino, I mean, anything he that he writes, own... he's going to direct it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he has the clout. Does Tarantino ever, like, film other people's stuff? It's really just his material. Yeah. I can't think of any case where he's directed somebody else's script. And his crazy mind. Well, in True Romance, which we're, which we're going to get into, it, defi- it feels definitely like a Tarantino movie, which is... 100% it does. But it also feels like a, a Tony Scott movie, it, I would say 100%. So Tarantino is more kind of comedic with the blood and the violence. Yeah. Tony Scott didn't do that. No, the, I mean, yeah, the violence Tony in this... Tony Scott's violence in... It's, it's not that funny. It's real. No, it's not <laughs> funny. I mean, Quentin Tarantino is, is so ridiculous that it's funny. True. It's real tempting to think what True Romance would be like had it been directed by Quentin Tarantino. I mean, Christian Slater's character, you know, he's a pop culture geek. In the opening scene, he's talking about Elvis. To a random stranger at a bar. He works. He works at a comic book shop. Yeah. So this is like a Quentin Tarantino avatar, essentially. Because he famously was a video store clerk and just a real pop culture savant, yeah, I guess. And that's kind of who this who this guy Clarence is, who's played by Christian Slater. Let's just back it up. And this movie has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
and it made about twelve million back in nineteen ninety three, which is basically like saying like no one saw it. Yeah, I mean seriously, <laughs> like, like even even in nineteen ninety three, twelve million is not that, yeah that's not, not a good. But this is yeah like this is like right after the summer, and you know this summer this was like the summer Jurassic Park and the Fugitive. I'm kind of I'm jealous of anyone who actually got to see this in theaters and theaters. Yeah, in 1993, I'm just I'm trying to imagine like little pappy. <laughs> well, I was I was like 10 years old, so I was a little. This movie was off limits for me. But let's say like you're walk you're a young adult in 1993. You're walking around. You're listening to like some Pearl Jam, some Nirvana. You got your acid wash jeans, <laughs> and you just you wander into a multiplex. True Romance. What's this all about? I mean, you're going to walk out with your mind blown. <laughs> but yeah, let, let's just let, let's just talk about the cast real quick. You know, it's... It is A-list cast. It's headed up by Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. They're the leads. They play Clarence in Alabama. But the supporting cast here is off the chain. You got Gary Oldman. You got James Gandolfini, Dennis Hopper, Christopher Walken, Bronson Pinchot, Samuel L. Jackson, Saul Rubinek, Chris Penn. Brad Pitt, Tom Sizemore, Michael Rappaport, Val Kilmer. <laughs> it's it's insane. And a lot of these characters j- just have one scene. Yeah, they and they die. Like sure, Samuel Sam- Jackson's character is one out. scene and he's out. He's got some colorful dialogue. Yeah. And then he was just shot dead. <laughs> nice to meet you. I eat pussy. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Uh, I mean, and this is right before, literally right before Pulp Fiction. Well, yeah, and Tarantino worked with Brad Pitt. I mean, yeah, this kind of makes sense on how he actually got to become a director. I guess keep in mind, you know, the, he he had just made Reservoir Dogs, so Quentin Tarantino he was on his way. He had made his first feature oh, film, okay. and this was one of the scripts, you know, that he had written in kind of those lean years. Got it. And okay. so, yeah, and Tony Scott wanted to direct it, and you know, I think Tarantino got to kind of shadow Tony Scott for a little bit. I think on the set of a uh, Last Boy Scout, which we talked about. Yeah great film you know while tony scott is making true romance tarantino was off making pulp fiction and getting getting that ready for can the next summer so yeah i mean this movie it starts off in detroit and the plot kind of kicks off when our two leads meet each other at a, a sunny chiba triple feature yes right after that they go they bond over pie do you know what time it is it's about 12 suppose you gotta get up early huh no, not particularly. How come? It's just after I see a movie, I like to go get a piece of pie and talk about it. It's sort of a little tradition I have. And uh, he takes her back to his work, you know, shows her the comic books. And then we get a nice sex scene right after that. There is a nice sex scene. Pretty good sex scene here. Yeah. She, <laughs> I mean, I guess this was like one of her first movies, right? Patricia Arquette. Yeah, just looking at her IMDb. I mean, she was doing mostly, it looks like TV and uh, just under the radar kind of dramas. I think this was one of her first like big high profile acting jobs, and she's pretty great in this. She's fantastic in this. She's got a, a southern accent. Her name is Alabama. She's yeah, she's great. And you know, so immediately after this sex scene, they get married, right? They, they have do. like a little chat, you know, outside his apartment in front of a like Chevy billboard, and you know, they decide to get married the next morning. So. For some reason, Clarence decides he needs to kill Drexel, who is her pimp. He's visited by like the ghost of Elvis, who's played by Val Kilmer. Yeah, and I'm do, trying we, to remember- do we ever go into like his mental issues? <laughs> we don't like because he's, he's, he's schizophrenic, yeah. possibly. Uh- <laughs> he's a little delusional. <laughs> 
That's well, yeah. I mean, that that's something that gives this movie kind of a, an edge to it. Like his behavior is fairly like unpredictable. This scene where he confronts Drexel, I mean, it's a straight up bloodbath. It is. I think what it was was he asked her, Alabama, to go get some of her clothes if she wants to get any of her things. And she's like, no, I can't go back there. And it's after he, you know, imagines this conversation with Elvis. Like Elvis convinces him, you need to take care of this guy. Yeah. Well, I'd kill him. Shoot him in the face. Put him down like a dog. I can't believe what you're telling me. So yeah, he's hearing voices in his head. And yeah, this is a big confrontation. It's pretty intense. <laughs> it's Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. I think you you described it as uh, he looks like Jack Sparrow. Yeah. He's, he's got dreadlocks. He's got like fake teeth. He looks insane. <laughs> he does look like Jack Sparrow in this movie. That's the best way to it's describe great. it. And yeah, this is a legendary uh, Gary Oldman performance. <laughs> you must have thought it was white boy day. Yeah. <laughs> It ain't white boy day, is it? Oh, man, it ain't white boy day. Yeah, so he, I mean, he shoots up everyone in this bordello. Yep. Including Gary Oldman. Yeah, he murders everyone, I think, except for the prostitutes. Yeah. He's there. He's like, you know, grab Alabama's things. And instead, they give him a suitcase full of heroin. Well, because the prostitutes think that that's what he wants. Right. <laughs> It's but he, heroin. He didn't want it, but you know, he just wanted a it's close. not heroin. It's cocaine. Is it cocaine? It's cocaine. Okay, but yeah. So after this massacre, they kind of go on the run, and their first stop is Clarence's dad, played yeah. by Dennis Hopper. He's an ex-cop, and so yeah, they get information like, um, you know, this guy Drexel, he was into drug dealing, and this cocaine it belonged to the mob. After they leave, Dennis Hopper he gets a visit from the mob. Which is represented by Christopher Walken. Yeah. Right. Because Clarence left his ID at the scene. His driver's license. At, That's- at Drexel's. Yes. And and after the scene with Christopher Walken, like they get his <sighs> next address off the fridge. I know. Right? It's, like pretty convenient. It's like, come on, people. This guy's yeah, he's kinda <laughs> dumb. But so is she too. So like they kind of make a, a perfect They're just yeah, they're just two kids in love. Well, they they just wanna, you know, get some money and have sex in phone booths oh yeah that happened well yeah their ultimate goal is to flip the cocaine for cash yep and to just go off to the beach somewhere right yeah so yeah this scene with christopher walken uh this is walken's only scene in the movie and um i mean he comes in here and it's just a sit-down dialogue and dennis hopper he goes on about the lineage of sicilians (laughs) and it's a pretty great scene yeah it it's, is. What was the, the, the it's, line? I mean, it's a crazy scene. What was the line that Christopher Walken says? I haven't killed anybody since 1984. He has a line after he blows him away, like, I haven't killed anyone since 1984. <laughs> it's just a crazy scene with two really good actors and... Uh, some pretty good dialogue. I mean, this is definitely a Tarantino scene, right? Yes, complete, it is. Complete 100%. With all the, complete with all the N-bombs. Yes. I don't know what's with Tarantino and the N-bomb. I'm just like, <laughs> all his too... movies are going like in yeah. my mind. I'm like, oh. It's, oh. it's, in, it's in way too many. Oh. It's in way too many of his movies. I mean, Django Unchained, I, I can understand it, but... I mean, it's not acceptable, regardless. I, of, I, I of, agree. Of art, like it's not acceptable. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't control what the guy does, but yeah, he should not be writing that word for no. actors to say in front of cameras. No. 
And yeah, there's another kind of troubling, very Tarantino-esque scene where, you know, a woman gets like brutally pummeled uh, and just kind of like a gratuitously violent scene. Patricia Arquette and the... Oh, yeah. She... Yeah. That's she, another very Tarantino-esque but scene. She, she it's not had, a Tarantino movie unless a woman gets brutalized. That's true. But, you know, she ultimately kicks ass. She flips the script. Yeah. yeah. She breaks a toilet lid over his head. Yeah. She sets him on fire. <laughs> and then she, like, shoots him with a shotgun. Yeah. And then, like, Make crushes his head with the shotgun. Just beats him over and over. Like, that, damn... But yeah, that scene is, it's it's uncomfortable because like the beating goes on longer than it should. And uh, like at one point she's just hanging out with like her bra. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, the scene started with her shirt on. Like, why, <laughs> why is she half naked all of a sudden? The, I mean, that's one thing about this movie. I it was mean, unnecessary. It was gratuitous. Well, yeah. I mean, Patricia Arquette, I mean, yeah, she's a call girl. I get it. But she doesn't, she's not a call girl after she gets married. So, I mean, her titties are all hanging out the whole movie. <laughs> It feels the most gratuitous in this beatdown scene. I mean, we watch her get beaten for like five minutes straight wearing just a bra. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it's well played. It's her and James Gandolfini. And, I mean, they go for it as actors. <laughs> I think it took like five days to film this scene. Did it really? That's, yeah, that's what I saw. Wow. That's... <laughs> five days to film. Tony Sky's got to get those angles. <laughs> it's... I mean, it's a physical scene. Well, yeah, and they probably had, you know, duplicates for pretty much everything. They probably had to replace. Everything gets smashed. Yeah. A lot of stuff. Well, yeah, she gets, like, tossed through, uh, like, a glass shower stall. She I mean, it's... Wow. Nuts. (laughs) So, yeah, Christian Slater, you know, he and Alabama, they they go to California, and they hook up with his buddy, Michael Rappaport. He plays Dick Ritchie, and his roommate is Floyd, played by Brad Pitt. (laughs) It's just never gets off the couch. He's yeah. just smoking a honey bear, watching cartoons on TV. All day. He's just <laughs> high and drunk and just a kind of a, a, well, he's lazy, doesn't shower. Like no. He is a bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I mean, Brad Pitt's at an interesting point here. I mean, this is post Thelma and Louise. But it was before, like Legends of the Fall yeah. and Seven, so he's he's definitely like on his way, but not like not quite like a household name. It's crazy to think of a time where like you know Christian Slater and Brad Pitt are both in the same movie, and Christian Slater is the lead. Christian Slater is a bigger star and not, and at not the time, Brad Pitt. right? Now, now it's flipped. I mean, obviously, oh, sure. Brad Pitt is a you know mega superstar, but Christian Slater's still working. He's on iRobot. Oh yeah, no, he's yeah he he's fine. And I'm I'm remembering they teamed up again just a few years after, one year after this with uh, Interview with the Vampire. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, again, great casting, and yeah, eventually they decide to sell the coke off to this Hollywood producer through Bronson Pinchot, and he plays Elliot Blitzer. Oh my god. <laughs> And this is, yeah, this is like some of the best stuff in the film. Some of the best comedy. Yeah. Um, especially when Elliot gets busted with coke and he has to end up working with these two <laughs> cops. Played by Tom Sizemore and Chris Penn. And he has to like wear a wire. You know, I grew up watching Perfect Strangers. <laughs> this is a more great casting. I mean, you're casting this guy who's known for Balky Bartakamus. Uh, against type. <laughs> is that the name that, of the character? I believe so, yeah. And uh, yeah, he's great in this. And he's he's working for Saul Rubinek. And he's playing like a caricature of like a Joel Silver type producer. Yeah. And it all leads to this uh, hotel drop where the coke is going to be sold off. 
But we have the cops and the mafia also kind of in on the deal. And all sides kind of converge into this massive shootout inside this penthouse. Yep. And it's um, glorious. <laughs> it, it is. You know, and I will, you glorious. know, th- this movie definitely kept me on my toes. It's a roller coaster. It is a roller coaster. And then they end up together in bliss. And I think they go to, they take the money in the big shootout. He gets his eye shot out. Yeah. Yeah, but they do end up taking the money yep. and splitting for the beach. Yep. And we get that nice Caribbean music. And then they have a kid. <laughs> I mean, seriously. The, the score from yeah. Hans Zimmer. I, I feel like I need to be in the Virgin Islands or something. It feels like it, it would play on a commercial for Royal Caribbean. <laughs> but it's the Clarence in Alabama theme. And yes. it's for them, it feels appropriate because it's lighthearted. It's carefree. And, you know, it makes you pine for, you know, a better place. But overall, I mean, I thought this was a great date movie. Yeah. There's something for the men, something for the ladies, you know. Oh, yeah. No, I... mean, I, even the ladies. I mean, I love it. I love it when women kick ass. Patricia yeah. Arquette kicked ass. I mean, she got her ass kicked, too, but ultimately well, yeah, she it sucks that we ha- in... It sucks that we have to see her get pummeled yeah. before she kicks some ass. But, yeah, I agree. Patricia Arquette is great in here, and this is still one of her signature roles. I mean, this is this is a classic '90s movie. Yeah, it's just it's so great, and yeah, you get you get the best of both worlds with Tony Scott and Tarantino, and this is I mean, as far as like a Tarantino movie, this is one of the the better Tarantino movies. Yeah, is this movie better than Pulp Fiction? Yeah, I'm Pulp Fiction wasn't exactly my forte. Sure. Is this so, better than like Django Unchained or yeah. Inglorious Bastards? Yeah, well, Inglorious Bastards. I've, it's a good one. I do like that movie. It's a good one. But this is—I yeah. mean, the scalping went a little too far. But you know, but is, there's always something in a Tarantino movie that goes a little too far. <laughs> but this is, yeah, this is top tier Tarantino, and it's top tier Tony Scott. You know, one example of what Tony Scott kind of brought to this, and this is like right off the you know IMDb trivia, is. In the original script, you know, the scene where they meet up with Elliot to talk about the, the, the Coke deal originally took place at a zoo in Tarantino's script. And Tony Scott, he wanted to set it at an amusement park and put them on a roller coaster to give the scene more of like an adrenaline rush kind yeah. of feel. And I feel like that's that's representative of how he envisioned this whole movie as kind of just like a long roller coaster ride. So, yeah, I'm grateful that uh, Tony Scott got his hands on this and made one of the best movies of the 90s. So why don't we take a, a quick break? When we come back, we'll get into Man on Fire. All right, we're back. And we're going to talk about Man on Fire. This movie has a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. What? Why? What, what are some of the... <laughs> <laughs> no, when I was yeah, when I was kind of like skimming through the reviews, a lot of people are criticizing the hyperkinetic style that Tony Scott is using, and critics didn't like the fact that the movie becomes uh, like a more violent, uh, just revenge thriller. What? This movie should have been nominated for Oscars, for acting awards, for screenplay awards, for cinematography awards, sound editing across the board, because everyone's given incredible work here. But um, but yeah, critics were unimpressed, and it made uh, about 130 million worldwide back in 2004. That was off a 70 million dollar budget, so um, it was too expensive to really like make a huge profit. But yeah, I'm sure it's it's broken even at least. So yeah, this movie, you know, it opens with John Creasy, 
who's played by Denzel Washington, he takes a bodyguard job in Mexico City, and he's going to be looking after Lupita Ramsey, who's played by Dakota Fanning. And this is happening against a backdrop of what we're told is like rampant kidnappings going yes. on in the city. There, there's, I think, three a week. Yeah, they give some some stats yeah. right at the top of the film. And we see, you know, like a kidnapping in progress, you know, how it happens. And so, yeah, for the first hour, it's really just Denzel and Dakota just getting to know each other. And just the way she kind of kind of breaks down his wall a little bit. I mean, this guy has some trauma. He's got trauma. He's an he, alcoholic. He's a drinker. He's, he's just, he he's has got problems. He's, he's of, haunted. Yeah. He's, got, he's got a lot of emotional baggage. <laughs> Yeah, just over the course of, you know, driving this girl to school. She goes to a Catholic school. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he has some chats with the nun. There's a great scene early on where, like, he's able to quote scripture back to her. Do you ever see the hand of God in what you do? No, not for a long time. The Bible says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome, overcome evil, evil with good. good. I'm the sheep that got lost my that's where the tears start for this guy. <laughs> That's an example of just how uh, how much this movie is able to convey through great dialogue. All, all throughout, there's just very like quotable, very evocative dialogue yes. that really just drives home who these characters are and what they are all about. And this movie is really a story of redemption. And he's able to find that redemption through Lupita. Yeah. So yeah, she's, uh, she's a swimmer. And he kind of, you know, her parents are kind of absent. Uh, her dad is singer... Uh, Mark Antony. Mark Anthony. Uh, he was pretty good in this. Yeah, he was really Actually, good. Actually, very, very solid in this. And his his wife is played by Rada Mitchell. So Mark Antony <laughs> inherits his business from his papa. And I believe it's a car dealership or a car parts business where they're putting... Um, he owns a factory. Right. The business isn't doing very well. We know that at the beginning... And he's talking to Mickey Rourke, the, the attorney, the yeah. lawyer, to talk about, you know, getting kidnapping insurance because if you get kidnapping insurance, then you have to have a bodyguard. And that's why this whole thing happened. And, that's you why know, Creasy comes on board. Yeah. You know, they, they told him at the beginning, it's like, don't get somebody good, get somebody cheap. Creasy comes at a discount because he is an alcoholic. Yeah. And his his handler is played by Christopher Walken. He's fantastic. He he, pl- he plays a guy named Rayburn. Clearly he's he's been through some shit yeah. with, with Denzel and Christopher Walken. I think Walken's, they were probably in the military or like CIA or CIA. Yeah. Uh, something together and And Denzel seems like he was an assassin. Yeah. Like a straight up assassin for the CIA. And Christopher Walken, he, he's having some fun in this role. He's playing it kind of quirky. He is. <laughs> I mean, he's he's kind of like a retired dude. He got he got married, has a kid in Mexico. Yeah. He's living the life. And he's looking out for his friend. Yep. And Christopher Walken has a great speech later in the film. One of the detectives is like, you know, give me some give me some insight on this man Creasy. Tell me tell me something so I can understand him. A man can be an artist. Anything, food, whatever. It depends on how good he is at it. Creasy's art is death. He's about to paint his masterpiece. (laughs) 
there you go. <laughs> and delivered by Christopher Walken. It's such a badass monologue. It, it paints a perfect portrait of who Creasy is. <laughs> and, you know, I think that was another issue that critics had. You know, they, they looked at the violence in this film as sadistic. And I don't think Creasy is a sadist. No, I don't. He's not think enjoying. So he's not enjoying. Like he's not getting off on torturing people. He does because he's good at it. Well, and he knows who he's he's dealing with. I mean, these people aren't going to talk unless there's something going on. I mean, they're not going to talk with a gun pointed to your head. I mean, that's not what's going to happen. There's going to be some torture. You're going to have to cut off some fingers yeah. and some ears. Cartel and like a... Um, uh, La, La Hermandad. Yeah, the Brotherhood. The Brotherhood, which is a corrupt police force. And so they partner up with the cartel to get money. I mean, it's a whole rigmarole and he goes after them all. Well, yeah, when Lupita gets kidnapped, he's he's engaged in gunfire with cops, like right on the street. Like he's he's opening fire on cops. I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot of shady characters involved in this deal. So they do the money drop, but there wasn't as much money in the suitcase because the cop stole it. The detective stole the money, stole half of it, and then that's what went awry. The de- I think the detectives gunned down like the dealers. Yes. For the for the cash. Yeah. And the cash was light because Mark Anthony he's he's keeping some of it for himself to pay off some debt and his lawyer. So he's he's not a good guy. <laughs> kind of, kind of, he's kind of the ultimate villain, I guess. Well, yeah. Who would do this to their own daughter? Yeah, pretty pretty terrible. And I that mean, leads, spoiler. <laughs> that leads to a powerful scene where mm-hmm. I mean, it all comes out. Let me ask your wife a couple of questions, okay? You move. You make one sound. I'll snatch the life right out of you. You understand? Like Denzel kind of pushes him to come clean with what he did. And he leaves him his bullet, you know, because a bullet doesn't lie. And he blows his brains out. Well, that bullet is symbolic because at the beginning, Denzel tries to kill himself with that yeah same bullet he goes on a bender and he puts he puts a gun right up to his temple and it doesn't go off it doesn't go off keeps it for like safekeeping it's like good luck and so he uses that bullet and gives it to the pop and and yeah he's just like you know what i'm not gonna kill you but you got to you got to do it yourself or something. And so he just, you know, like a gentleman, he just leaves a bullet and a gun. Well, and I think Denzel, too, I mean, he realizes that there's, you know, a lot of kids are being kidnapped with this scene. So it's not just Dakota Fanning, I mean, or Lapita. It is a lot of other kids that are at stake here, too. And he's dismantling the whole thing. And really, he, like, just tears a swath right through all these shady bastards in Mexico. Yep. And, you know, we get get a torture scene in a car where he's cutting off fingers. Oh, puts a dynamite up somebody's butt. Yeah, he rams, (laughs) sticks a bomb up a man's ass. Fuentes. Yeah. That's that's Victor Fuentes. He's like the corrupt police He's the presidente. Yeah. But yeah, he is the, he's a detective. He gets a bomb up his ass, and we get a nice, like, walking away from a, an explosion in slow-mo. I was <laughs> like, man on fire. Too, yeah. Too badass to look behind. No, but overall, I mean, the, the acting in this movie was just superb. You know, you, you really feel this isn't like a love story between a man and, a, and his wife. This is a love story between a girl and her bodyguard. And love story, I mean, like, 
you know, platonic love. You know, it's not... It's really beautifully played between the two of them. And both of them are doing some of their best work in this movie. I mean, Dakota will break your heart with just how great she is in this. And Denzel is just holding it down. I mean, he's... He's such a great actor. He's holding it down. He's an Oscar winner, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. He, He won for Training Day. Oh, yeah. And I think yeah, I think he won for Glory as well. So I think he's won twice. And um, yeah, he's one of our best by, by far. And uh, he still looks good. You bet. L- let's just talk about just uh, the way this movie looks. Because this movie doesn't look like any other movie out there, really. And Tony Scott, at this point in his career, he was really experimenting, just visually. He was going more abstract and impressionistic. And I mean, you just you compare the way this looks to True Romance which we just talked about, there's a big leap stylistically, right? True Romance is pretty straightforward yeah. visually. This movie is, I mean, we're, do, we're doing a bunch of stuff here. We're doing some hand crank cameras. We're doing some overlapping dissolves. We're, we're doing time-lapse photography. We're doing cross-processing. It's very experimental. It's very radical. I mean, Tony Scott was a guy who was really pushing it. And I think the style complements the story and it doesn't overwhelm the story the style is really a reflection of john creasy and just his mental state and that's why it works perfectly and you know after this tony scott would make domino which was the movie with kira knightley where she's a bounty hunter and (laughs) that was that was not a successful film yeah and that's an example where you know the style he's using the same style but it's it's even more cranked up. It's it's all throughout the film. It's a little too much. And so the story and the character kind of gets overwhelmed by the style. But in Man on Fire, it, it perfectly complements the story and the characters. And uh, yeah, it's a beautiful film. It's one of the best looking films uh, I've ever seen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's stunning to yeah. look at. That's one of the reasons why so many Tony Scott movies are so rewatchable. Because they're, just, like, they're eye candy. You know, he and his brother Ridley, they're really into art design and filling the frame with a a lot of visual density. And I I guess a great example is the Ramsey's house, right? I mean, this house, like, I mean, you got a room, you got like a very medieval Spanish, dark color, dark, like red, a lot of archways, like, you know, separated with beads and curtains. You have a room, like just a prayer room surrounded by candles at one, in one room, like in the negotiation room, there's like a prop zebra in the room with like post-it notes stuck to it. Do you remember this? Yeah. I'm not making that up. There's a zebra in the room yeah. where they're just putting post-it notes on. The art direction yeah. is crazy. I mean, Tony Scott's eye, it's working at 100% here. And uh, yeah, this is it's my favorite Tony Scott movie. I would, I would actually put this just a notch over True Romance. I mean, obviously, I don't relate to either one of them, like, personally, but I guess I feel more for Denzel. And and there's a redemption quality where there's no redemption in, like, true romance. Right. They didn't feel bad for what they did. Like, there is just mayhem and... True romance is, yeah, it's it's a roller coaster that's really working in the moment. And then when it's over, you know, you, you kind of put it out of your mind. Man on Fire is one of those movies that will kind of just linger around in your head. And I, I think Man on Fire is a, a good date movie. Yeah. Even though there's some torture. No, I definitely think it's a good date movie. And I mean, we get some action scenes in the back half. I mean, when he takes this guy, Victor Fuentes, out, I mean, we're talking like firing a rocket yeah. into like a motorcade. Oh, yeah. And just was... this badass scene where he's like popping smoke grenades 
and just like pulling this guy out at gunpoint. I mean, right in broad daylight in the middle of the street. I'm like thinking like all of his assassinations all ended in fire. So well, yeah, when he goes he, to the rave, the rave, cool. he's got to um, set that place on fire. I mean, he's a man on fire. Yeah. He's leaving a trail of fire in his wake. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, getting the thing in the butt, <laughs> the, that fire. Yeah. And then the, the car, like the very first one goes off the cliff and that's on fire. Big boom. Yeah. He's, he's a man on fire. I mean, there you go. Forgiveness is between them and God. It's my job to arrange the meeting. He's, I mean, I, the the script, this script should have gotten a nomination. Brian Helgeland, I mean, great yeah. screenwriter. It's nice to see Tony Scott's movies get something of like a reappraisal, you yeah. know, after his death. I mean, sometimes that's what it takes. You know, you got to kill yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much the episode. You know, I mean, Tony Scott, I mean, rest in peace. I'm forever bummed that I'm never going to see another Tony Scott movie because he definitely had another handful left in him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, suicide, you know, you never know what goes on in people's minds. And he jumped off a bridge. Like, this wasn't like regular, regular, I'm going to stick a revolver in my mouth suicide. This is it like. kind of, yeah, Tony, I mean, this is like, sty- I mean, I'm going to die like one of the characters in one of my movies. Yeah. Kind of suicide. <laughs> I'm going out with a bang. <laughs> No, only only family and friends uh, really know what what led to that decision. But yeah, I mean, you know, not having his brilliant mind. Yeah, a, a great craftsman with a real eye for what he was doing. And you know, his last movie was Unstoppable, which yeah. was. I mean, well, not, that was another Denzel Washington movie, wasn't it? He worked with Denzel like at like, least five times. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, they have a great relationship. <laughs> well, yeah, clearly, yeah, clearly they got on pretty well. Be, uh, like Unstoppable is, is one of those movies like it's not going to win any Oscars. It's not really aspiring for that. But what it's aspiring to do, it's it's kicking ass at. Yeah. I mean, like late into his 60s, he's making movies like Unstoppable. And Unstoppable, like, like we're not filming this in front of green screens. Like we're moving a train on a track. We got helicopters swirling around us. We have, you know, nine cameras going. <laughs> So, I mean, like, well into his 60s, this guy is making films that younger dudes could never pull off. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, his his movies represent, like, a real physical achievement. I, I mean, that's Tony Scott. And that's uh, that's our show. You can find more episodes at anchor.fm slash movie date night, as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We're on Twitter at DNMoviePodcast. And you can also email us at DateNightMoviePodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Patrick. I'm Ashley. Thanks for listening. See ya.